I'd like to start this episode with a quote by actor Hugh Laurie. You might remember him from his Dr. House days on TV. The quote goes like this, and you'll have to imagine his accent as I read. One of my favorite moments in Star Trek is when Captain Kirk looks out over the cosmos and he says somewhere out there someone is saying the three most beautiful words in any language. Of course, your heart rises, Hugh Laurie says, and you think it's going to be, I love you. Instead, he says, please help me. What a philosophically fantastic idea that need is a beautiful thing. Need? A beautiful thing? When I first read the statement, it didn't sit well with me, mostly because, I realize now, I've spent the better part of my lifetime trying to avoid need. The decades I've spent serving MKs indicate that I'm not the only one in this people group for whom the gift of need has become something of a defining fear, whether we're conscious of it or not. This needlessness certainly doesn't apply to all MKs, but it does to enough of us that I think it's worth mentioning in this episode of Pondering Purple, if only to be able to see it in ourselves or in the MKs we love, and then to address it in order to prevent some of the fallout that can happen when we decide that need is overrated. This episode is titled, MKs and the Risk of Need. the tendency of many MKs to avoid feeling a strong sense of need is directly correlated to the losses we experience. There's no denying that TCKs in general are subjected to more significant goodbyes by the age of 18 than most of our peers. You can look back to earlier episodes of this podcast for more information on the grief we carry, and there are also several articles on my website, michellephoenix.com. What I haven't really discussed yet perhaps because it's a deficiency of mine, is how repeated losses can affect our ability to need. Not everyone responds by choosing to avoid it altogether, but for those of us who do, the consequences are predictable and can be grim. Here's how it works. The first few losses of our nomadic lives take us by surprise. Children are optimists by nature, and many of us assume in our early grief that the newest friend will stick around, or that this time I won't be the one to leave. Then comes the next departure, the next wrenching tug at already frayed heartstrings. As time goes on, the farewell tears become more bitter, acidified by an inevitability we can't seem to control. Years pass. The more we lose, the broader the wound feels. So we retreat into the fortresses we build, right? These emotional strongholds intended to survive successive blows to protect our fragility. Their walls are thick, their dungeons deep. So deep that need, that need we don't want to feel anymore, can scream itself hoarse and not be sensed or heard. We mask our invisible walls with friendly smiles and skillful interactions, using our innate adaptability to conquer social tests. We soften just enough to mimic true connection. But at the end of the day, we run back to our safer fortress, and we watch, out of sight, as people less cautious than ourselves dare to encounter 
explore, embrace, depend. We try to ignore the voice of need calling for attention from deep inside our self-protection. We want neither the discomfort nor the disappointment it can foster. We feel strong, unbreakable, as long as need is muted. No more loves lost or relationships ended, none that matter anyway. We've sacrificed the gift of need to the comfort of isolation. Now don't get me wrong, we're fine with need as long as it's someone else's. We'll fly in and rescue others at a moment's notice, telling ourselves this proves that I'm okay, I'm able to engage. We settle for relationships in which others need us, but we need no one, in which others confide in us, but we confess to no one, in which others trust us, but we depend on no one. Because life or God or circumstances have stolen our willingness to love and lose again. Even in marriage, I've seen some MKs avoid complete vulnerability in order to sidestep the pain that shaped their isolation. The occasional friendship may sneak past our defenses. We might whisper to ourselves a bit reluctantly, well, maybe just this once. And we hope that the loss, when it comes, won't kill us. But mostly we hang back, we observe, and try not to feel too lonely. We've conquered vulnerability, and we've won a safe and shielded kind of solitude. Yet love, true, meaningful love, requires that we need. Relationship is a three-sided construct. One part is common interests or focus. One part is mutual enjoyment. And the last part is reciprocal need. Without that need, we create a flimsy bond of similarities and pleasure, but we leave out the impulse that draws us back to each other and fuels our willingness to risk intimacy. And yet, it's so easy to fall into a rejection of dependence. Growing up in the goodbye-saturated world of ministry, I learned at a young age, when heartbreak drove me to a dangerous kind of sadness, that I'd have to be more careful with my need. So I became an adult who picked her friends cautiously. As years stretched on and they didn't leave, I allowed myself just a little bit more need. And when those friends honored it and returned it, I surrendered a bit more. Then life broadsided me. Three of my strongest, most meaningful friendships ended abruptly. One to death, one to distance, and one to something that felt like rejection. I became angry with myself for having dared to hope, and quite predictably I began to re-erect the fortress of my youth. It didn't take as long this time. Its walls and silence were familiar to me. Here's how I was forced eventually to acknowledge how very toxic needlessness can be. Safe? Yes, but so crippling too. A few years ago, when unbearable pain made me rush to the hospital in the middle of the night, and I slumped in a wheelchair for three hours waiting to see a doctor, I didn't make a call. I had friends, but I didn't make a call. I sat and moaned and tried not to pass out as my body became septic, but I didn't make a call. And honestly, sadly, 
I took ridiculous pride in proving to myself that I could live, and in this case, suffer, above my need. Looking back today, I can see the countless other ways, some insignificant, some important, in which I've failed to make the call. I realize now that I built a shrine to independence on the quicksand of my need, hoping to control it, hoping to quell it, hoping to eliminate it. My case is not unique, I know that. The MK world in which I live is populated with survivors whose coping skills have led to a stunted form of need. We manage to engage while preserving our isolation. It protects us from the losses that destabilized our youth, and we think our self-denial will protect us from more pain. But here's the self-defeating bargain that we make. Need stirs intimacy. Need fosters commitment. Need stimulates trust. It's a facilitator, not a dictator. It's a connector, not an abuser. It's a necessity for friendship and, yes, a terrifying leap. Of this, I am sure, if there's one thing the MK community values above all else, it's relationship, deep connection. Yet insidious fears based on the scars of our losses demand that we must live without it. And many times, even as adults, we relinquish what we crave the most because the grieving child that still breathes inside of us commands us not to risk. The solution? It's too complex for a single podcast episode, but I think it needs to start with self-talk that declares that we can live outside our walls, that we will live outside our walls, that we are risking hurting our hearts by doing so, but that the gains far outweigh the losses. I believe words matter, that they can change hearts, even my own, So I try to tell myself a variation of the following statements every time I feel the urge to tamp down my need and hide away in the safety of isolation. Here are the statements. I embrace the need for connection God placed in me. I believe He placed it there to bless me, not to harm me. I choose not to let my childhood fears limit me in my adulthood. I will be cautious and brave as I risk pursuing meaningful friendship. And I encourage you to look at the episode on MKs and relationships for more on that. Next is this. I will not let initial failures deter me. In other words, I'll keep trying. I know that I am strong enough to overcome potential heartache. And finally, the process may be scary, and I guarantee that it is, but I was created with the gift of need, and I trust that the rewards of friendship will outweigh the risks. If you know that you've been avoiding the gift of need, will you consider stepping into your courage and trying to make the shift from intense self-protection to hopeful self-fulfillment? I'm fairly new at it myself, but I promise you it's already feeling worth it. That's it for today. Thank you so much, friends, for listening this far. 
Just so you know, my contact information is in the show notes if you'd like to continue chatting on this topic. And the article this episode is based on is linked there too. I know the podcast has been just a bit sporadic over the last few pandemic months, but it's going to settle into a steady twice a month rhythm now. So make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're using so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. As always, I'd love it if you shared this podcast with your friends and family and ministry, and even with pastors and missions committees of churches that send families to the field. There is so much for all of us to learn from each other, and I hope this is a helpful place to start some important conversations. Wherever you are today, and whether you love a purple person or are a purple person, my prayer for you is that you will celebrate the indisputable greatness of growing up between worlds and find the grace and courage to process and learn from the harder parts, too. Thank you for listening.